Hey, so for a while I've been testing out LinkedIn Live and streaming on there on my profile at, at Smithy Mayo. And obviously we've been doing this podcast for quite a few years now and really consistently every week for just over the past year. And this is episode 67 you're listening to. And I thought, why not just put the LinkedIn Live and the podcast together? Saves me doing double, saves me trying to get more guests and I can keep the quality up. So that's what we're doing maybe from now on and we'll test it but feel free to hit us up on any of the socials at big esports underscore gg mainly twitter or facebook's probably the easiest ones or linkedin and tell us what you think so there may be some teething issues where you know we may be replying to people in the chat or something like that but so many other people will record live podcasts and go into audio so let us know what you think in this episode i really want to learn more about mobile and mobile esports jeff chow is from what i can understand probably the number one person in the world to have on in that space really mobile esports is fantastic and it is gigantic so there's a lot to learn but a lot of what i wanted to do in this episode was to break down what do the numbers actually mean and how can you compare them to pc console and what are some fair comparisons to make and what should we be looking at in the future i like this conversation as with pretty much every single one i've done so far so enjoy Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Looks like we're live, Jeff. Hello there. How's it going? Hello. Good, man. Good. How's the... Uh, we'll start off with the, with the same conversation as always. How's the weather where you are? <laughs> well, I grew up in Hawaii, so I'm always used to 70, 80 degree weather and it's cold in LA and you know, yeah. it's, it's only 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which is not that cold, but, but to people in LA, that's very cold. So, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's hot. It's hot here today. It's going to be in Sydney, which is, you know, one state up from me. It's going to be like 110 degrees Fahrenheit on Saturday. And it's going to be pretty similar here on Friday. Wow. That's, that's actually extremely hot. It never gets that hot in Hawaii, by the way. So <laughs> that's a game 90, degrees, 90 or maybe a hundred, but barely. Oh yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. It's like, it's perfect gamer weather. It was like this, this like OG <laughs> man I remember loving that was, you know, a person sitting inside saying, Oh, it's, it's too hot and sunny. Better play some games. Oh, it's raining. Better play some games. Like it's, it's just perfect no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we got so we got people coming in and joining. Um, you know, I've I've uh, spruced you up on the social media quite a bit about being a bit of a, a mobile gaming expert. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit before this, and and for those people who are listening to the podcast or live on the LinkedIn live stream right now, know that I personally have been trying really hard to do a lot of research into the mobile market. Um, but as with anything in esports, it's never ending, and there's so much to learn. So. You know, we've talked about a couple of topics before going live today, and thankfully the topics you said that you wanted to talk about were even better than the ones that I wanted to talk about. So really, <laughs> you know, we're all we're all here to learn from you today. There's there's so much upside in mobile esports right now. Um, you know, like you were saying before in private, it's, it's kind of like the wild wild west. There's so many concurrent viewers. There's so much good engagement rate. Seeing things like Free Fire in Brazil 
with you know millions of concurrent viewers, PUBG Mobile with 60 million downloads and all of these big numbers. But I want some help from you today to, I guess, make sense of those numbers and also for you to educate um, myself and the listeners what numbers matter and what should we really be looking out for. You know, there's I've, I've talked about this before. There's always some fluff in esports with people making unfair comparisons between, you know, one prize pool of a gaming tournament that's big compared to one prize pool of a sports tournament that's not as big, but not taking into account the millions of dollars of brand deals, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd love to kick it off, I guess, with you just giving people a little bit of background on yourself and just talking about your company and what you do today. Yeah, so background in in mobile specifically is I was at Ground Zero uh, back in 2014, uh, which is actually not that too long ago. Uh, Vainglory actually pioneered mobile esports, and concurrently, Tencent was also developing Honor of Kings, which came out in 2015. Um, and I was a pro gamer in mobile esports. I owned my own mobile esports organization. I worked at like Hammers Esports, was a co-founder there, was a co-owner for Gangstars, and then worked at Immortals as their GM and head of mobile, and mm-hmm. also Team Liquid on a mobile project uh, where I feuded and, and took a team as the oh, head wow. coach and manager to South Korea. Uh, so I've done a lot of events and not only was I a pro player, um, I've been, I've done all the hats, business development, mobile, you know, pitching sponsors. I ran a mobile gaming league. It was one of the first team-based leagues for Clash Royale. Actually, just, just about three years ago when Mob Crush was a mobile streaming platform that sponsored the league. Um, mm-hmm. And also was a streamer for mobile. I've been a commentator for Clash Royale. Uh, Arena of Valor, Honor of Kings, and Vainglory. So I've done pretty much the entire vertical, and I'm very lucky and fortunate yeah. to have done it in such a short span of about five years. So I understand the entire ecosystem very well, and I worked with a lot of the publishers, the producers, you know, ESL, NGE, um, you know, World Cyber Games, and I've spoken a lot at different uh, conferences about mobile esports, whether it's the Games Beat to uh, the sports uh, business journal at the esports rising mm-hmm. conferences uh, to X Live esports summit uh, and so on. So I've been really in the kind of in, the, in almost the entire vertical, so to speak. So I understand it from a player's perspective, mm-hmm. from an owner's perspective, from a coach's perspective, from a production uh, commentator's per- perspective, and also from a league, a global league administrator uh, perspective. And the other thing I want to add to that I'll share a li- little later is. Also was at Ground Zero for PC esports. I grew up in South Korea back in 1999. <laughs> I'm like dating myself. It's like it's like another decade, right? Uh, yeah. And I lived there from 1999 to 2003, and I got to travel all over Korea and Japan and US, and we'll share some insights to explain why mobile is is where it is now, and it ha- actually has to do with a lot of parallels to how PC esports came to be in South Korea back in 1999. For sure. So I guess um, let, let's start with the overall numbers of the market and part of what we talked about. I think, I think it makes sense to start here and then let's pare it down from there. So there's a lot of impressive, massive numbers in the market right now, but I'm interested in learning from you. What's the growth like year on year um, and the compound annual growth rate? If you've got those stats, that'd be fantastic. And also what countries are you mainly looking at? Are there certain ones that are outpacing others with mobile gaming and esports? Yeah, so it depends. It's going to be depend country per country. And if you look at total mobile gaming market to esports, again, it's going to vary. Uh, some mobile esports 
have kind of peaked and now are starting to decline, like Clash Clash Royale uh, okay. is an example. But in terms of growth rates for for the macro, so it's it's like it's like esports, right? The the macro is underrated, but there are certain parts that are old, overvalued, overhyped. I would say so. It's, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. For uh, but you look at countries like India to uh, gaming, mobile gaming specifically, and gaming in general. India is is the fastest uh, growth for all of digital media entertainment and explains why India, the esports scene is literally exploding uh, with a lot of engagement. I can talk more about numbers there, but it's growing about 33%, the fastest growing segment um, yeah, wow. in India. And you look at Indonesia as well, you know, Cisco put put a, put a report out that um, gaming and the growth and the catalog, you know, the CAGR uh, compound annual growth rate was going to be a projected mm-hmm. 50 to 60%. And then we see that with Indonesia, wow. right? It's, it has almost 300 million people and 200 million um, gamers, all of them who are very engaged in um, mobile esports uh, specifically. So the growth rates are going to vary from country to country. Tencent is reporting, you know, 25% year over year growth in mobile mm-hmm. gaming revenue in general. Uh, but a lot of it is driven by mobile esports titles. So, of course, the mobile market is massive. But what we're seeing now is core multiplayer action games are starting to become the biggest, most profitable and biggest revenue drivers for, for mobile games. Um, mm-hmm. And it's no longer the candy crushes that people always love to mention when we talk mobile. Uh, it's, it's no longer the puzzle game. They still make a, a ton of money, but, but people forget that, you know, that, that, that's actually declining. If you look at, 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 at uh, candy crushes, they, they peaked in 2014 at 500 million monthlies. Now they're at 250, um, and mm-hmm. games that are growing are these core multiplayer team-based action games that I just talked about. Yeah, okay, and I mean that that seems to mirror the same with with PC, right? Like like we did some looking into it here for a client, and we were looking at you know what games say use Steam as a platform, what games will last for many years, and what games have more of a likelihood to become larger and to generate more money. All three of those, and and mobile just makes sense, right? You're playing against other people. It's competitive. People are purchasing in-game items and, um, you know, boosts, whether that is pay to win or whether that is just pay for cosmetics. But it's much easier to keep you in the ecosystem. And what I talked to the high-res CEO, Stuart Chisholm, about on a previous podcast for anyone listening, I think it was about four or five podcasts ago, you know, they said the same thing for them on PC. They only focus on multiplayer because one of the big things for them was he said they spent something like, three years developing an expansion pack for one of their games that was single player and then people blew through it in three weeks to three months and they said well it just doesn't make much sense whereas you know if you're in league of legends or mobile legends you can release a new hero that takes you a little bit of time to release into balance but you know that hero was going to be in the game for the next 10 years like say in dota 2 you know with with heroes that were put in or league of legends that have been around for a long time as well in pc so you know just multiplayer just seems to make sense to me yeah, and the key is is they're all most PC ports, and people forget that that a smartphone is a PC. But if you look at like total overall like revenue growth, mobile is growing the fastest compared to PC and and console. It's growing about like nine percent per a report that Newsu just put out. Uh, console is still growing. It's not like console is like dying or anything. Their revenue is growing as well, and PC revenue is doing is doing good too. They're all growing. But the fastest areas of growth is mobile and specifically in the fast growing markets um, because of the advancements in smartphones and, and the access. 
So it, it's similar to in South Korea where PC gaming just blew up. You know, the, the early 2000s when PC gaming was in a fight against console gaming. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember those times, but Nintendo and yeah. Sony, they released like the GameCube, the PlayStation 2. You know, those were, it was the console was, it's a sixth generation consoles. It was the golden age for console gaming. And PC gaming was like this little guy trying to struggle to come out. And a, and a country known as Korea was was where PC gaming was basically cheap entertainment because of the PC bonds, right? Uh, consoles were expensive. It was after the Asia financial crisis of 19, 1907 to 1999. Um, and because of the broadband internet access, which is the tech technology catalyst, along with cheap, like 50 cents to a dollar per hour access to PC gaming, a lot of kids grew up their first multiplayer gaming experience was StarCraft on PC, right? They didn't play on console. Um, and that's something that I realized growing up there. I was like, wow, what is happening? I I competed in a lot of like sports tournaments, actually, and, and did a lot of military competitions from the Far East in Japan and traveled all over Japan and also U.S. And I saw console was like the big thing. But because of the economic conditions of Korea, PC gaming was actually a form of cheap entertainment. You know, they were reeling from a massive crisis, currency crisis, you name it. Korea was reeling. It was when I got there from Hawaii, blue skies to Korea, gray skies, everyone's depressed because the economy just sucked. It was not a, it was not a, it was not a good feeling, but everyone went after school, they were done. They were all congregated to these PC cafes. And because it was cheap entertainment, it was clearly accessible across every city in Korea and the dense cities, that's what led StarCraft to blow up and take off. If you look at what is the cheap entertainment of today, it's mobile gaming. It's similar to what, what helped StarCraft become what it is, because StarCraft helped us see the future. Um, you know, it doesn't get quoted often, but it was the first esport that was produced at a high level of production in mm. state right back in the u.s it was all like hotel ballrooms and gymnasiums with people bringing their own gear it was that was really cool but it was not the level of production that korea did and then because so many people played it in korea it it became it, it got put on national television 24 7 on, on two network cable channels and and that is the beginning of a generation of pc esports there and and mobile is following a very similar trend line uh, because of this cheap entertainment and accessibility that it's offered a lot of these people in fast-growing markets. There's a, there's a lot to unpack from there, but but one thing that you said um, that I completely forgot about was about mobile gaming is kind of PC gaming ports. And for me, like you, like you were talking about console versus PC, there was a time there, you know, when I was finishing up school around the 20, 2000, like the, the late 2000s, um, 2008, 9, 10, that, Every single PC game was a console port. And as a PC player, we felt like we were kind of second-class citizens. You know, most of the Call of Duty, they were, they were console ports to PC. You know, a lot of the, the PC numbers were fast in decline before PCs became easy to build or, you know, you could buy them pre-built or a good enough laptop. Everyone was going towards console. And then this massive flick of the switch happened, which maybe could coincide with Steam, maybe could coincide with easier and, and better-to-use PC technology, where now it seems to be the opposite. People are releasing PC first, besides some games that are obviously Sony exclusive, etc. But PC is such a focus, and now you can often play the same game on the same Microsoft account across your Xbox and your PC as well. You said before that a lot of mobile games are kind of PC ports. Are they starting 
two kind of carve their own way out now where, where everything is starting to become mobile first? Yeah, I, I think it follows a trend. What, what mobile is showing us is simplicity is important. If you look mm-hmm. at just, I'm going to share two macro trends just based on my experience playing RTS mobile and so on. Uh, like RTS was the first genre, StarCraft one versus one, very complex, lots of units. And then Lee came out, which is free to play, right? They were like kind of cheap entertainment in that sense. And then you pay for skins, but they were mobile where you control one hero. So it was simplicity. Um, and what mobile has done is take league, put it on mobile and make the game even more simple where instead of like a 40 minute game, it's 10 to 15 minutes. They have completely simplified a lot of things because that simplicity makes it more accessible to a lot of players. Um, yeah, sure. you don't have to go, you can shop anywhere on the map <laughs> in these games. You'd have to go to like a item shop oh, and shop wow. at home. So there's a lot of these little mechanical things that they've done. And because of the simplicity of these games and the accessibility, that's why there's a higher percentage of females that play these games. Um, the perfect example is Honor of Kings in China, where 54% of its, you know, 200 million monthly players, yeah, I'm sure it's declined since then, but they, they, they're females. And it has reflected in their esports uh, audience. I mean, their esports audience is normally 60, 70, sometimes 90% of the audience in a stadium is females. So that to me just shows you that as a game developer, and, and to me, the reason why mobile is taking off too, and I don't mean to, to talk down on PC or anything because they make amazing games, but I think mobile developers are, they're more, they're, they're hustling. Uh, they, they release more content updates. That's why PUBG Mobile has more, um, not only more players, of course, mobile, but it's more engagement and the esports level than PUBG PC. And there's more YouTube and con- game content viewing. And, and if you look at the, if you compare both the games, the roadmap for PUBG Mobile is much more exciting. There's a lot of events, there's constant updates, there's constant, you know, collaborations. It's, it's a lot more fun. Uh, and I think that that's what makes mobile so great is because it's growing. Mm-hmm. I don't, I want to say it's competing with PC, but it's growing the entire gaming uh, pie and, and helping more people become introduced to multiplayer action mobile games. And that's a good thing for the entire industry. Yeah, there's a, good, there's a lot of great stuff you said in there. And one of the main things that I want to agree and to amplify is the importance of content. You know, you've seen, for example, Fortnite, I think they announced they have over 100 100 developers now who are purely just working on Fortnite, making new content all of the time. And you see that versus, say, Apex Legends, who when they finally, after three or four months, released their season one, they only had one new hero, the map was the same, there was a couple of items. And you could see, you know, the, the court of public opinion on Twitter, everyone saying, where's my content? I don't want to play anymore. I need more heroes, I need more skins, I need more things to do. And you compare that to TikTok, you know, Jade, uh, Vincent, who most people watching and listening will probably know, you know, TikTok influencer herself with 1.2 million followers. She makes seven pieces of content per day. She makes two to three TikTok videos, one to two live streams. She's on Instagram doing posts and stories. She's on LinkedIn. She's on YouTube. She's on Twitter. And it's because you need to have that accessibility and people just want things to consume and to do all the time. And it's no longer in the fact where you can just release an expansion pack every three, six, eight, 12 months, unless you're like The Sims and very long-standing. You need to be releasing things all the time. And I think that's where um, a lot of people are learning from mobile. Say Dota 2, you know, they went away from massive patches after big tournaments to a bi-weekly update cycle. Every two weeks, there's some sort of update that comes out. And then generally after the big tournament at the end of the, at the, at every year at the international, there's one big update, which, which released, you know, early December, November, which changes the game. 
but it keeps yeah. people interested. It keeps that content happening. I, I want to share um, an anecdote about that because uh, I didn't share yeah. this, but I'm working on my startup, which is uh, it's it's for mobile multiplayer action games where I want to help them connect easier, get a voice instantly and just have a good experience together because a lot mm-hmm. of it, players in, in the U.S. are solo players, uh, actually. If you look at Asia gaming behaviors versus United States and West, a lot of people on mobile devices play alone. Um, okay. The percentages for, for single player is much, much higher than, than in Asia where it's much more social. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that foundation, that social foundation helps support the esports scene. But one anecdote, and I, and I talked to a lot of users, um, you know, in North America, and they can range from, you know, teenagers to, to 30 year olds, etc. And a lot of them play console PUBG, but, but they're telling me now they play PUBG mobile um, way more often or sometimes even exclusively because it has more cool stuff, right? They admit the control isn't as good as a you know physical joystick control, but it's good enough. It's pretty good. But the key is like they have cooler skins, they have cooler events, cooler content, and the other part is a social factor. Their friends play it, and some of their friends don't own like a, the Xbox or the PS4, and there's no crossplay, right? Mobile, they all play together. And I, I met people literally in, in Uber rides and Lyft drives, like just playing PUBG Mobile, and I asked them immediately to try to learn about their story as a, as a user. And they always share with me, yeah, I used to play PUBG on, on console, but it's not as fun as mobile. I get that a lot. And when people talk to me about like PC or console and they, they focus on the technicality of the graphics or the processor and all this kind of stuff, they mm. forget that in the end it's entertainment, right? like, you, like you just talked about. It's about mm. content, about entertainment, and it's about social. That's literally what, what is the foundation for a lot of the success of these games and, and multiplayer uh, environments. Yeah, and like you said, the ease of entry, right? Like Dota 2 is the main game that I play these days, but fairly casually. But, you know, I started to try to play Dota 2 and I couldn't. I went to League of Legends because it had an easy entry level and I ended up going back to Dota 2 because of the International 2013. It sucked me in. So obviously that marketing worked to at least capture me. Um, so it's, it's done well in that respect. But you know, the path of a new player into Dota 2 is so hard. You got to learn like 110 heroes and there's items and some items deal damage under certain circumstances. Sometimes they don't and the heroes are being updated all the time. It's just so hard to understand. Whereas if you can create that ease of entry or something that I've talked about in some previous podcasts before, what makes Counter-Strike such a good PC esport game is because you could be a 10-year-old kid or I think it's MA15. So a 15-year-old kid running down mid with a P90 in Dust 2 holding left click and have a great time. But if you want to be the best in the world, you're going to need 8,000 hours in the game. You're going to need to dedicate every single time of your life to it because there's so many intricacies of what's the spray pattern of a gun. You don't need to know that to have fun, but you do to be the best. You know, what when the maps change, where are the skyboxes, where are they not? So you could throw, you can do your pixel nades. You know, and I still have in my head from when I played semi-professionally that, you know, there were certain strategies on train where at a, you know, a minute 27 on the clock, I would throw a flashbang at a certain pixel and then two seconds later, I'd throw a smoke and I'd check corner A, B, C, D. So it adds that depth, which makes a great eSport, but at the same time, it's got that ease of entry. Does mobile gaming have that skill ceiling? Is, is that a concern for, for mobile games as they get more into eSports? Yeah, I, I think it, it has a, a significant skill, skill ceiling actually, because um, like when I was playing Glory and I was I was the top and, and in Clash Royale, I, I competed and made it to the top four for for a qualifier in North America. You're like the top zero zero one percent at that point, and it's definitely 
every decision and mechanical piece does matters because the, the phones run, they, they still run uh, a certain frames per second, usually 60 FPS. Um, and mm-hmm. every single second matters in a mobile game and how you play with your team. You can argue the technical parts of that in terms of the mouse precision versus touch precision and all that. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get into that, but but the key is there is a clear scale of, of difference between different tiers. And, that, and that's honestly what really matters. It's not the technical of a mouse versus a touchscreen. If you look at like a lot of mobile pro leagues, they have like tier one, which is like the world league. They have the regional leagues, they have their university, then they have campus, you know, there's there's like the amateur, there's semi-pro, and there's a clear when I when I competed with um, Immortals, um, I was the GM and head coach for for the team that competed at the Honor of Kings in in China, the International uh, Championship Cup in Beijing. We played against the university, the best university team, the tier two teams, the B team, the backup team for for the the pro league, and then the pro league teams. And I can tell you right now, there is a massive, massive difference in macro and micro um, competition levels across all four of those tiers. So, mm-hmm. so as long as that exists, the esports is, is going to thrive. You know, if if and, and that and that and that's the key part of understanding mobile is people overly focus on on the precision and, and all these things just don't matter. It's it's more about the competition and how the best of the best can separate themselves from the one percent versus the point one percent. And 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 mobile has all of those same type of mechanics that support a competitive environment like that. And the last thing I want to add is. Um, the, the trend now is more massively multiplayer and more simplicity, right? Like that's why Dota mm-hmm. 2 is not as big as League because League is a more simple game, right? That's why League is not big as Honor of Kings because Honor of Kings is a more simple game. Um, mm-hmm. and, and simplicity is the trend, right? More simple, hard, still hard to master, which is important, easy to play, hard to master, and then more massively multiplayer, which is why we're seeing you know, battle rows and um, all these big massive multiplayer games. So we've so we've talked about the MOBAs and then you just mentioned the battle royales and we, we did also have a question from Will Hershey from Roundhill in here is who's who's winning in the race of the mobile battle royale market at the moment between <laughs> Free Fire, COD Mobile, PUBG Mobile, and anything else that's kicking around? Yeah, the thing about mobile is it's the question has to be qualified, so it has to be who's winning in what region. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if you look at, you just take, so Battle Royale right now is a massive competing for basically territory and regional dominance. Because once you capture a country, it's extremely hard for any competitor to enter. And the perfect right. example is what has happened with a mobile MOBAs. Like Arena of Valor is dominant in Thailand, but they can't touch mm-hmm. Indonesia because Mobile Legends, which is made by Moontown, has completely captured the Indonesia, Malaysia, and Filipino market. And Arena Valor has no is barely competing against them, right? Arena Valor, on the other hand, has dominated Taiwan, uh, for example, and other countries where Mobile Legends just can't can't touch them. Uh, so, so that's very important. Is it's its first mover advantage, and because once you get network effects and you have millions of users playing in a country, because you have to think about like put yourself in the in the in the face of a mobile gamer. In the Philippines, they do a lot of micro tournaments. They do a lot of neighborhood tournaments, cul-de-sacs, you name it. It's very social. And for an in- if you're an incumbent, you, you have that protection. You have that defensibility, that molt. So Battle Royale is the same thing. Like That's why PUBG Mobile is dominant in India, and Free Fire is barely alive. right? But Free Fire in Brazil 
is massive. And then PUBG Mobile, you don't really see any PUBG Mobile over there. So it's basically a race to who can achieve a critical mass of gamers. And then you then you lock them in into that into that by producing and make sure the game gets updated often and so on. So so that's what we're seeing. And first mover advantage matters a lot. And it's it's a region by region basis. But in terms of globally, mm. like macro standpoint, I say, I would say PUBG Mobile is winning. Um, but I think Free Fire is a better esport because it, it's fifty players and it's a short, it's a more simple form of battle royale where it's faster, much more action mm. happens immediately. There's no there's no like like early scavenger phase that PUBG yeah. has. Uh, Free Fire is really a battle royale that's adopted to the mobile uh, consumer. Um, and I think that even though PUBG has more users, it's, it's, it's bigger than Free Fire. I think Free Fire has a much more engaged esports audience. If you look at it, PUBG Mobile Finals, they get around 200-something thousand, and they actually declined 18% in average concurrent viewers from 2018. Um, so, so like, their esports, they, they need to kind of tweak a few things. But you look at Free Fire, they peaked at 2 million viewers, and half that is their average concurrence. I mean... That's 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 amazing for your 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 half your peak viewership to be your average concurrent viewership of, of over a million is impressive because that's a game that's truly designed for mobile esports and I think Free Fire will probably win the mobile esports side of things long term and PUBG will win kind of the gaming consumer uh, battle royale uh, game globally well, because it's it's currently leading right now. Yeah, so I, I don't have the answer to this question, and we talked about this a bit before we started, about metrics, what metrics make sense, because there's always arguments. You know, I feel I've made some posts about it before and talked that there's sometimes unfair comparisons between esports and sport, where someone may compare the whole esports industry to the NFL, where the whole esports industry is not only just mobile PC and console, but it's also 30 games, you know, within. Or other people will say, you know, they're using subscribers or, or concurrent viewers, um, which is a metric that the layperson may understand, but it's not great for the business people to understand. What's your view with this on mobile? You talked about total viewership. You talked about total concurrent viewership or peak concurrent viewership. You also talked about um, the retention rate. We talked a little bit about, um, the you know, the rate of engagement of people as well. For you, maybe you could even split them into two categories. How do you explain this to people who have no idea what you're talking about, but also what are the metrics that really matter to you that you're tracking for growth? Yeah, for me, it's always the foundation. So I don't even look at esports initially, right? Esports is always the kind of the icing on, on the top. But for a mobile game developer, it's DAU and revenue. No matter what, if you can't support and grow those two key, key KPIs, then your game's going to slowly die. Uh, DAU is very, very important, and you can see... PUBG Mobile and Free Fire have the highest, probably the, the highest DAU, 50 million daily active users every day playing it. Um, and revenue, they both surpass over a billion dollars. So that that tells me that foundation is healthy because that's telling and you can see both games, they're constantly pumping out content. I mean, you have you can have pets, there, there's really fun costumes, there's collaborations with anime to like pop culture across all these uh, regions. That's very, very important to be relevant and, and stay competitive. And then from there, once you have that layer set, you then have to look at the esports scene and how they are driving it, how they're promoting it. Um, the best is what PUBG has done with the the PUBG Mobile um, Star Challenge, where they focus on their content creators, um, and then they have a separate competition for the club open, which is 
much more competitive and it's not focused on around content creators and streamers, but you need to have an engagement strategy for both. And I think the, the key is like, even though esports, you know, a lot of people look at esports like marketing. Um, it, it is kind of like marketing in that sense, but you need to look at it as a long-term engagement tool, right? Uh, like what Riot has done, you know, that's how, that's why they have more viewers than they have players. That's the only game that has more viewers than players, uh, which is amazing. So you need to look at esports as a long-term engagement tool to keep your most passionate uh, fan base um, engaged. So those are the metrics that, that, that I look at. In terms of uh, AMA is really not available in, in mobile yet because, again, you guys have to really think about it. Mobile is brand new. Esports is, is fairly new industry. Mobile just literally popped up within the past few years. So the only numbers that we are reporting are like unique viewers, total views, which which is, you know, you can take it for a grain of salt here and there, but it just tells us how big the potential could be. But the most important is always engagement. And we can kind of look at those by just following the stars of the game. So PUBG Mobile, for example, we have uh, like one player called Moro who who runs his team Soul. They're one of the they're the number two team in India right now. They're the most popular, most followed team. Their engagement is insane. You know, he himself has 1.1 million Instagram followers, and he gets 400,000, sometimes 200, but usually 400,000 like likes and engagement and thousands of comments. So his engagement is yeah. very high. Um, and I think that's what matters. Because that, to- that tells you that there's real fandom there. You know, And mm-hmm. if you compare him to a lot of other tier one esports organizations, his engagement blows them out the water. I mean, they have much lower engagement. So, so these yeah. users on mobile are very passionate and they care a lot about their, their esports players and their content creators. And I think that's a very promising thing for, for mobile esports long-term future. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I did some posts about um, Instagram engagement rates because you can use Social Blade to, to scrape that publicly, which is awesome. And looking at, you know, Team OG and Dota 2, they have an engagement rate on Instagram just over 6%. Flamengo Esports from Brazil, they have they were the best of anyone over fi- over 50K or 30K followers, sorry. Um, at 240K followers, their engagement rate was around 8%. And, you know, getting out of Esports into more of the um, content creator <clears throat> realm, you know, some like Loud um, from Brazil, who's a content creator house and, and a community, I think they were pushing somewhere 15, 20%. So 50, 40 to 50% engagement rate is ridiculous for anyone um, to have, let alone someone of that size. So it seems, it seems really, yeah, it seems really important. So the next question is then, how do you cross reference or compare industry to industry? Do you look at the same numbers? Is it fair to use the same numbers to compare PC and mobile, monthly or daily active users, average concurrent viewers and engagement rate? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good comparison to make, but I think it's not a competing comparison. I think mobile mm-hmm. viewers in general want to play on mobile devices and it, it's a way, the, the big thing that I emphasize with people is it's not really competing with the PC gamer. Because if you're a PC gamer, you're going you're gonna to continue playing PC. You may touch a mobile game every now and then. But a lot of these people are new to multiplayer action gaming. Um, and it's similar to my story about Korea, where the PC cafes that existed introduced so many people to StarCraft and multiplayer action uh, games. And Mo- that's what mobile is doing to an entire generation of Gen Z, right? Very young kids. And it, it normally is enough for them. You know, mo- most of them... The, 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 the mobile developers have done such an amazing job, along with also the smartphone technology, where it's it satisfies their need for, for gaming. It satisfies their core gaming need. Um, 
because you know back then when smartphones weren't as advanced, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna you're, you're, if you want a core gaming experience, you go to a console, you go to a PC, and the biggest indicator I, I have of that is is since the since the iPhone launched and the smartphone industry took off, console ownership has actually declined. Right. They, they have never reached the same levels, even though the gaming industry is growing from a macro perspective. Console mm-hmm. unit sales have not been selling as well as like the sixth generation consoles back in the 2000s, like PS2, yeah. for example, uh, because a yeah. lot of people are, are they're finding their need or they're satisfying their need for multiplayer core gaming through their phones. And, 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 and that's what's happening, uh, especially in, in fast markets. So they don't really see... Um, a need to go to a PC cafe because it's more convenient. It's cheaper, of course, and it fulfills my need to play multiplayer action games with with my um, with with my my friends and so on. So, in terms of the metrics, yeah, we can look and compare overall. But I think what's the most important is uh, from an esports perspective is staying power because what we're seeing with certain mobile leagues is they they kick off strong year one, year two it normally peaks. Mm like Clash Royale peaked at year two. They had like 700,000 concurrent viewers. In year three, it started to decline because the mobile game wasn't able to stay relevant or have as much staying power. So Clash Royale like peaked, I think, 200 or 300,000 concurrent viewers. Um, Arena, Valor, and MOBA, MOBA, MOBAs in general are, are, are starting to plateau, but it's still hundreds of thousands of average concurrent viewers, right? So it, it, mm. it, it lends to the point where, to me, what's most important is what is the long-term play? Like which game can hold like a sustainable number of viewers over time. And it looks like the, honestly, the best player would be free fire PUBG mobile and 10 cents honor of Kings in China, the KPL. Um, their growth rates have kind of tapered off a little bit, but their engagement and the number of viewers they're able to, to bring on has been very, very good. It's been, it's, it's growing and it's not declining in, in any way, which is a good sign for mobile esports, And that has been going on since 2016. So they're now in their fourth year, and it gets better and better every single year. So obviously, we're we're talking the same language, but mobile gaming is just so big. It's it's um something you know to kind of wrap your head around, and it's it's interesting the discussion you say about consoles because I guess in esports, besides, and I'm trying to think, besides Call of Duty, um, and you know Halo is coming back a, a little bit. There's not really much esports that's happening there, and it seems to me really that that console is hyper focused on solo single player games you know the spider-man releases the god of war releases and things like that and judging by what you're saying with the trends and where things are going you know mobile being online communities constant content coming out updates um, keeping in contact with the community it sounds like where the console games are they're going to have to start reinventing themselves fairly soon otherwise they're going to continue to decline and i remember there was a, a report i read recently which said the console decline has now evened out and i think they saw it a small growth this year but it, it followed exactly the numbers or the kind of statistics or the general feel that you were saying as well is that you know yeah. back when you couldn't have a pc and nintendo 64 or a super nintendo was even more powerful than a pc it made perfect sense to have a console in your house but maybe not these days yeah exactly i mean console is still a big industry the revenue is growing so don't get me wrong but in terms of a percentage mm. of internet users that's the metric that i really care about um you know, PC gaming and console are, are still big, but they're not growing as a percentage of total internet users. The only thing that's growing is smartphone gaming. This is a great research report pushed out by Global Web Index. And that's telling me that 
a lot of them are shifting over to mobile. Um, it's not they're, they're not saying I give up on console gaming. That's not the point. It's like, like Tencent has reported for the past couple quarterly earnings report constantly is is consumer shift to mobile. They're shifting to mobile. They're shifting to mobile. This is why we're growing twenty to twenty five percent in mobile, um, and we are perfectly positioned as because uh, a lot of users are gaming on their smartphone, and a lot more users are wanting multiplayer um, action games, and they are they exist on their smartphone. That's that's Tencent's strongest. Uh, Tencent's like one of their strong competitive advantages in that area. So mm. smartphone gaming has basically uh, displaced PC and console, and it's going to continue to happen for the next decade because if you look at the penetration rates for India, I mean, India is a huge market for smartphone gaming. They only have about 26% of their population are, are have a smartphone, like they're smartphone internet users. So, so there's going to be massive amounts of growth uh, across the board and with how developers will push the esports scene that that's going to be that's that's what's going to boil down to uh, similar to what South Korea did you know they had um they had the cable operators they had SK the the, the wireless tel- telecom company which is funny mm-hmm. they own the sports teams like SK right they own the stadiums and they're like what is happening here with PC gaming why don't we make this into a cool sport because it, it looks like it it could be and then that's how kind of stadium esports was born in South Korea. So now mobile is kind of learning from that and taking it to new heights in terms of engagement. But one thing that I want to make sure we focus on is a lot of the live events are, are not that big. You know, in China, it's massive, right? They're selling out, you know, 15 to 20,000 people stadiums. But it's similar to how esports like PC and console, you don't see like all of the stadiums being sold out for like the quarterfinals. Or for like the qualifiers, right? They're not sold out yet, but mm. it's getting more and more um, populated. So that's always a good sign. But you look at like, for example, in in Free Fire in Mexico, people don't know how big Free Fire is in Mexico. For example, um, they had a, their finals in November fourth, and it, it was a live audience of a, of a thousand, but on the stream they had a total of you know fifty five thousand concurrent viewers. Um, yeah, wow. So average concurrent viewers. So. So like the, the scene is, is still growing. It's still very infant and the mm-hmm. audience levels have not reached uh, a level yet outside of China. Um, maybe Thailand is pretty strong, but if you look at a lot of the audience levels, uh, mobile audience, live audience is not there yet. And I think that's going to take time. And what about uh, Android versus iPhone? <laughs> yeah, uh, Android versus uh, iPhone has always been the leader because it's the way that the phone is designed and its efficiency. You know, when I was a pro player and all of the mobile pro players, they all played on iPhone. But what's happening now with like manufacturers like OnePlus and Vivo, right? They have done a really good job of optimizing their phones and working directly with the game publishers. So I remember the KPL when I was there in 2017, everyone was on an iPhone 7. And then now with Vivo sponsoring it, the tournament was now run on, on Android, Vivo phones. And the phones mm-hmm. are good enough. I, they actually, the, the KPL uh, team and staff gave us the tournament phones for my team to train on. And they're just as good as iPhones now. So honestly, I think Android has closed the gap because of, they have optimized it. If, if not, increased the, the gap because OnePlus now offers um, 90 FPS you know, screen but with a 90 hertz screen. So I think... Mobile will continue to to move forward in that regard and offer a better 
experience from a from a frame rate stand, standpoint. So I think the Android manufacturers get it. Apple, I came from Apple, unfortunately doesn't get it. Um, but they're both manufacturers are 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 just as good for from a from a mobile gaming competitive standpoint. Okay, yeah. One one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was the buzzword of five G. I feel like people use five G the same way they use the word blockchain, where people would say there's a new company coming out, it's fantastic, it's based on the blockchain. And that means it's really good. And you go, okay, what does that actually mean? They go, I don't know. It's on the blockchain. And a lot of the answers I get from people is just, they just use the word 5G. They say, it's coming. It's going to be amazing. You say, why? They say, because it's faster. And say, okay, but, but why? Like, do, do people need it to be faster? Uh, is it going to be cheaper? What's the cost per meg? And things like that. So for you, an expert in the space, like, what does 5G actually mean for gaming and esports? Yeah, I actually talked at a conference, uh, at a Hollywood tech conference on 5G and mobile esports. Awesome. And and I, I was actually part of the Verizon Ventures studio program in New York City where they were testing 5G back then. And this was like two years ago. They were testing it. And what it comes down to is it's a lot of, unfortunately, marketing speak. Uh, what matters is reliable um, connections that are fast enough to support the multiplayer mobile action games. And mm-hmm. countries like, uh, you know, Philippines, which is a bunch of, you know, thousands of islands, um, reliability matters, um, and speed and, and connection matters. So 5G is going, going to be relevant um, much later once they're able to get the cost down so that the adoption rates can be higher. Uh, mm. And if you look at the real world, right, theoretically, it can be as, as, as you, know, you know, fast, less than 10 milliseconds or, or, or less latency, right? The latency is the biggest reason why 5G will push... Uh, mobile esports forward and more competitive, but the real world test that they're they're conducting it's it's not even close to what the th- theoretical is, um, and and that's going to take years for for them to figure that out. Um, I think right now it's it's a lot of marketing speak, and honestly, as a mobile esports gamer, I don't really care about five G. All, all I care about is reliable and unlimited data. And if you look at mm-hmm. mobile games, they're they're not, you know. It, it might help with like download speeds. So most mobile games are like one gigabyte. Free Fire is a couple hundred. Uh, it's it's not relevant to to mobile esports yet. But once it reaches that point, then you can see a lot of innovation around having these mobile esports competitions actually be mobile, where you don't rely on on a, on a Wi-Fi network um, at venues, where you can actually have these competitions. Um, literally on the go. So so I can see a lot of potential there, but I think the biggest impact is going to be to AR and VR, where mobile technology, mobile chipset, if you think about the mobile phone, it is the PC of our generation, right? Uh, the future next generation consoles will be AR and VR wearables. So wearable technology is they're being derived from mobile phone technology. Consoles were derived from PC hardware and technology. So the future consoles mm-hmm. of 2020 and the next decade will be wearables. And that's where I see 5G and the wearable technology making a huge difference. And it's going to shift the industry a little bit. And we're going to see some very creative. There's a lot already some interesting things happening with AR and VR esports, but we're going to see it take another another um, upgrade and evolution you know, within the next decade from 2020 to 2030. Where, does the, where do you see most of the innovation happening at the moment? In the mobile space, it seems like a lot of people are creating very similar MOBAs to League of Legends, even the art style. A lot of people are creating very similar games to, say, PUBG or Fortnite Mobile. You know, what what do you see coming next? Are there any emerging trends of different styles of games that aren't 
battle royales or MOBAs or are taking things completely differently to the rest? Yeah, I think the main innovations will be if, if you really think about technology and what technology helps us do, it helps us interact, helps us be more social, multiplayer, sports. Mm. And we see that happening with PC, consoles, phones. What's going to happen, what I see as the future for innovation is what is it going to help us reflect more of the, 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 the physical world? Um, and what I mean by that is like VR, AR is a perfect example where you're not mm. confined to sit in, in a certain space. You can actually reflect more of a human experience where you're in an arena. So there's already, um, it's called, uh, I think, free roaming arenas. There's already in China, they have those VR arenas where it's like an open gym. It's a VR gym and it's an open format and you put on the VR equipment and then you play these multiplayer games together. Um, mm. I actually got to meet the CEO of Battle Times and, and went to their headquarters and got to experience some of those games. And yeah, these are like the free roaming or VR arenas. Those will be the feature because it mimics real life, um, but you're in a virtual reality, right? And I think that is the future innovation. Um, and mobile is going to drive that because it's all mobile. Like you're literally moving around and you're out and you need mobile technology, 5G to the chipsets to, to drive that. I mean, Huawei and... Um, Huawei just announced that they're able to to actually have ray tracing on the mobile on their mobile on Qualcomm on their processor. Like ray tracing is possible on a mobile. Yeah. And the reason why mobile phones cannot reach that level yet because they have to be customized like a wearable, like a like a new generation console because of thermal requirements. Right. The reason why smartphones don't don't like throttle up or throttle down is because they have a they're they're thermally throttled. Um, so if you divide, do you go to device? that can really take advantage of the, these powerful mobile chipset processors and so on, where they don't have a thermal limit, then yeah, the sky's the, the limit, literally, because it's going to really change how we engage with the, the world when it comes to AR, VR. So, um, and that's something I've been following very closely um, because if you look at like how mobile technology has changed how we interact and how we interface with technology, like like Apple and the iPhone X and smartphones have done a really good job um, with, with touchscreens. They have they they talk about spatial consistency. They talk about all these that lead to a much more intuitive experience that PC gamers and PC hardware just doesn't think about. Right, like touching a screen and thinking about spatial consistency and how that makes sense from a human experience is what these mobile. Um, you know, forward-thinking companies are, are thinking about, and spatial consistency is going to matter a lot uh, when you think about AR, VR, and the future of of you know innovation and, and esports and gaming in general. So that's what I'm most excited about, uh, you know, for the next decade. But right now, it's all about adoption. I want more gamers to play on smartphones so they grow up gamers, and then when these new consoles come out, they then will 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 purchase it. And the good news is, I think the prices will decrease where it will reach a, a mass adoption. Facebook is subsidizing mm. the Oculus Quest dramatically, but the Quest is actually a, a, a big step forward because it's wireless. You don't have to connect to a PC or whatever, and it's run by the Qualcomm 855 chipset, which is about a three-year-old smartphone chip, um, and it costs three ninety-nine for for an all-in-one VR experience and device, which is subsidized. Yeah. But the good news is it, it's it's a pretty good experience. So imagine what's that going to look like in five mm. years. What chips are going to be used? Imagine like when Apple enters a space, like I'm going to see, we're going to see like the next decade is going to be an amazing time for gaming, entertainment in general.
there's a another great comment here in the in the LinkedIn live, and there's a few. You know, Peter Peter Perez, Chris Mancini, Troy Linforth, all in here chatting. Kieran John and uh, John Helms. But another another good question from Will Hershey um, that I didn't think of asking, and and he says, do you think that COD Mobile has paved the way for AAA publishers to port their IP to mobile? And then I guess adding on to that, do you think that's going to be something else that's coming more in the future? Like we've seen League obviously announced some, some mobile stuff, but do you see other of these AAA, you know, Blizzard, Activision, EA type developers getting into more mobile? Yeah, they, they have to. Um, if they want to make more money and satisfy their shoulder, they're going to have to. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time, I, I'm in Facebook groups with Call of Duty players from North America. These groups are, you know, 10,000 to 80,000 people. I, 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 I like get into a group chat with them and, and play with them and ask them a lot of questions. And these are actually older than me. They're, they're, you know, they're millennials or older. Um, surprisingly, a lot of females and they play mobile Call of Duty Battle Royale. And the reason why they decided to try the game is because of the IP is they grew up playing Call of Duty. And a lot of these gamers, like the, the Call of Duty, I, I don't know the data, but I'm willing to bet that it skews uh, a little older. People might think a lot of kids play Call of Duty mobile, but but what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing across all these Facebook groups, and I've seen surveys, they ran and post, like, tell us your age. And a lot of them are 20 to 30 years old, like mid 30. Okay. So, so yeah, brands have, the brands that are smart will need to port to mobile because it opens up another medium for them to engage their consumer because they're too busy to play on console or they don't no longer have a console, right? Or, and they mm. playing that title and now it's it's free to play accessible on their mobile device um and they're now re-engaging with that ip and now you have you kind of resurrected a customer honestly that's why i look at it they they, they grew up playing call of duty they don't longer play it they're busy with life and work and so on and because the mobile version comes out it's easy to download and access like just a simple app download you kind of resurrected a customer for your for your business mm. and i think that's that's super important and every developer needs to do that and 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 more importantly for United States and, and and Western companies, they need to get on mobile because the best mobile developers and engineering talent is in China. So what are we doing? We're we're, we're kind of we're we're outsourcing a lot of our our our, our mobile dev talent um, for Tencent to then you know and they're amazing like they're the best engineers, which makes sense. But that to me is worrisome because that means that we don't have a good understanding of of mobile. Um, mobile game engineering and development, and we're letting we're just outsourcing it to China. Uh, yeah, okay. Right now, we have the lead in IP, right? If you look at the macro trend, U.S. companies, all the best IPs came from the United States: StarCraft, Diablo, mm. League of Legends, Call of Duty, you name it. Amazing IPs. But what if Tencent closes that gap? What happens to these Western companies? I think they're mm. going to be put in a really tough spot long term, um, and they need to think more strategically from, from that from that perspective. So what's coming up next for you? Uh, next you is yeah, we're, we're I'm working on my startup. I'm actually uh, actually advising a few like tier one esports ors and and other companies in the space with with mobile and um, and so on. Uh, but for me, my startup is you know we're learning. We, we just launched. We learned a ton from you know a couple hundred users that came on, and we're kind of doing a re-release and focusing on that market that I think is ignored is, is that mobile gamer that's mid-core to hardcore. They're a mobile uh, multiplayer um, action gamer. I think that audience size is dramatically in- increasing across the world. 
So I just want to build a solution for, for that user base and help them connect to each other. Because when I was in Vainglory and Arena of Valor and all these mobile games, there is a strong, strong community there. And we still stay in touch with each other. And we met through a mobile game. Like, how can you, like, who could imagine um, being, being close friends and, and um, you know, having a, such a strong community around a mobile uh, game? And I think that that sense of community is just as strong as any other community in PC or console. And I think that mobile is often just underrated and overlooked consistently. Um, they think that these people aren't hardcore gamers or they're not passionate about the mobile games they play and the players that play it. Um, and I'm kind of going against the grain there and, and saying that they are, and, and I've experienced it with my time and insights in that industry. And I think mm-hmm. this is a community worth pursuing and, and building something great for. Awesome. And there's been a, there's been a few call outs in LinkedIn live chat to, to follow yourself on Twitter. And, and I have been for a while too. There's a lot of great information coming out there. So where's, where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, the, I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, that's where, and my medium, you know, I'm, I'm actually writing a, a, an article talking about smartphone and, and the future of smartphone mm-hmm. gaming. And, and it's not for reasons people are going to think. So I'm excited to kind of release that before the end of this year. And so Twitter is, is always the best. That's where I really amplify or, or tweet out specific metrics about um, mobile esports and what's happening in mobile gaming. Um, and I share a lot of thoughts and, and analytical um, pieces as well. So Twitter would definitely be the best place to, to follow me and, and stay in the loop. Fantastic. Well, this is one of the one of the shorter LinkedIn lives and, and podcasts that we've done, but I think that's because my brain is so full of information. I need to go, I need to go take some time to process this. There was a funny comment the other day. It was like a Joe Rogan podcast. He, he had this um, old strength trainer from the Soviet Union on who's very well decorated and, and well known as one of the best, you know, lifting coaches in the world. And one of the great comments was the shorter the podcast, the more important the guest. Um, and it was pretty similar. I think that podcast with him was only like an hour 20, but damn, my brain was so full of information. I've already listened to it twice. and I'll probably go back and listen to it again. And similar with similar this one here, Jeff. So you're wealth of knowledge and you know, it seems pretty obvious to me that, that mobile esports is growing. I mean, that's that's pretty obvious, but also it seems to be the future. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, mate. And thanks to everybody who's listening in to the Big Esports Podcast, as well as those who are tuning in live to LinkedIn Live now. We'll have plenty more of these coming over the next few weeks. Thanks for listening, guys. See you later. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg.